Good morning. Uh, glad to, to have uh, you all here uh, this morning. I know it's kind of a icy, snowy morning, so it's great to, to see you all here. Um, uh, my mother's uh, maiden name uh, was Kinnishnik. Uh, it's spelled exactly as it sounds, so phonetically you can figure it out. Um, but it's uh, uh, K-O-E-N-I-G-S-K-N-E-C-H-T, Kinnishnik. And uh, so I always knew, uh, I always knew, my mom, my mom told me that when she was growing up, like in elementary school, on all her papers and stuff, they would just write K-13, K followed by 13 letters. And so all her papers and stuff were just uh, spelled K-13. So Higgs was an upgrade, all right? So uh, H-I-G-G-S. But I kind of knew uh, the Kinnishnik background a little bit. You know, they, my grandparents would talk about it some that uh, they immigrated, spoiler alert, from Germany, um, and, uh, um, and uh, that, that my grandparents had come over from Germany and had developed this pretty massive farm and, and spent, my grandfather spent his career farming, and that was kind of that background, and I was always intrigued uh, by the Higgs side of the family, because I didn't know very much about that, and so I would ask my grandfather, you know, tell me about Higgses, where, where did we come from, and he would always just kind of you know, you know, put his arm out like that and say, Steve, all you need to know about us is we're just a bunch of hillbillies from Tennessee. That, that's all we are. We're just a bunch of hillbillies from Tennessee. And that's always what he said to me about it. And as I grew older, I started thinking, you know, I do love sweet tea. <laughs> and I love grits. And I always told Cheryl, I love grits. As I've gotten older, I think I actually love butter is what I love, but I love, I love grits in any presentation. I love greens. And I was like, you know, maybe my grandfather was right. Maybe I am just a hillbilly from Tennessee, you know, that, that sort of thing. And I have found myself, like I am kind of tempted to do the, what is that, the 23andMe deal, you know, uh, where you send in your DNA. The conspiracy part of me doesn't want to do that though, um, for obvious reasons. But there's a part of me that just is kind of curious about our family name. And, and I know that our family name was very important to my grandfather, to my grandpa Higgs in particular, that my dad tells a story of, uh, I grew up in a real small town uh, in Michigan, and my dad tells a story of going into the bank in our small town, and uh, he was applying for a loan, I think it was like for his first car or whatever, and uh, he walked into the bank and they said, oh, Higgs, they said, you're James's Higgs' son? They said, yeah, I'm James Higgs' son. They said, you're approved. Just, just like that, you know. Now you do that at Wells Fargo or Bank of America, you know. Well, my last name's Higgs. You know, they're gonna, yeah, fill out this 20 pieces of paper. But um, that was really important to my grandfather, our, our, our name. And so today I wanna, um, we're gonna, I'm gonna ask you to walk with me a little bit in, in today's sermon. I wanna remind you a little bit about God's name and the power of his name. And we're gonna come to a text in the Sermon on the Mount. We've been in this series for a while. Uh, that, that is really about how we are to use and how we are not to use the name of God. And so to get there, I want to start in the Old Testament. Um, if you've been tracking with the series, you know that a lot of what Jesus does in the Sermon on the Mount is he's taking these Old Testament commands and he's reminding us of God's heart and God's desire surrounding that command. And so he's done it with murder, he's done it with adultery, and, and today he's going to do it about how God's name is, is to be used. But where, where I want to start at is in the Old Testament, God's people had been in slavery for 400 years at the time of uh, this story we're going to look at here in just a minute. And so that's 400 years of being mistreated. That's 400 years of being abused. That's 400 years of being belittled. That's 400 years of being separated from your worship traditions. 
And that was really a major issue for Israel, is that they had been separated from their worship traditions, and they had forgotten a little bit in that 400 years, as anybody would, they had forgotten about their identity, they had forgotten about God and his name and and all of that stuff. And so when God frees them from slavery, one of the things that he does does in Exodus 20 is he gives them the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments are to kind of renew his relationship with them, to remind them of who they are, and to remind them of who he is. And so we're going to see that God does this. And then Jesus, we're going to get to the Sermon on the Mount a little bit later, but Jesus is going to build on one of the commands we're going to look at. So I want to show you the first uh, three or four commands, depending on how, how you count them. But this is from Exodus 20. God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, uh, but showing love uh, to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. And here's the one we're gonna kind of focus on eventually. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. So this reintroduction is happening now that the people are free. This reintroduction where God is saying, this is who you are, but he's also saying, this is who I am. And so as God is reintroducing himself to Israel, he's reminding them of a couple of things. He's reminding them, first of all, my name, God's name is grace. Did you notice that? That we tend to think of the law as completely separated from grace, but did you notice that even the Ten Commandments start with the idea of grace? That I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. That he wanted to remind them that it was me who rescued you from slavery at just the right time. That you are my people and I love you deeply. And I am telling you, people will mess up commands from now until Jesus returns if they don't understand that law and grace are not separate. separate, They actually work really well together. That your law, The law will never make sense and it will never be used properly if you don't first understand how God loves you, that he rescued us, that we are his children. When you understand that God loves you deeply, the law finds its proper place. When you understand grace completely, the law finds its proper place. And so this is what God does even with the Ten Commandments. I brought you out of Egypt. I rescued you. I redeemed you. I saved you. And so I have, because I love you, I have a way that I want you to live that I believe is better. And if you have kids or grandkids, you understand this, that discipline really doesn't work with your kids or your grandkids until they understand that you love them. If they understand that you love them, you can discipline really well. If, if, you don't, if they don't understand that you love them, it usually starts to go south in a hurry. This was the problem with the Pharisees and teachers of the law in Jesus' day. They had lost sight of the idea that God loves us, he has redeemed us, he wants life for us. So the law becomes this warped tool of earning God's affections, of earning God's salvation. And the two great symptoms of this, there's two of them, it's pride where I start to really believe that because of my obedience to the law, I'm better than you. It's pride and then it's judgment, where I start to attack you so I feel better about myself. And this describes the Pharisees, it describes the teachers of the law, that they are using the law to earn salvation, to earn God's graces, and they didn't realize it was already free and available to them. Right, eventually this gift would become available to everyone through Jesus. So here's the truth, you don't have to earn your way Jesus earned your way, 
right? That's the message of good news. And when you understand that, the commands of Jesus, the law of God, begins to find its proper place. So God's name, first of all, is grace, all right? The commandments go on. Have no other gods before me. That God's name is one name. That because you bear my my name, God says to Israel, because you are my children, worship me alone. Now, this was hugely countercultural because they had come from Egypt, which which was a polytheistic culture, and almost all of Israel's neighbors at the time were from polytheistic cultures. They worshiped many gods, and God flexes his muscle a little bit and says, you don't have to worship many. You can worship one. You can worship me. So you don't need a God of sun, right? You don't need a God of wind. You don't need a God of rain. I control all those things in the palm of my hand, God says, right? So you don't need to worship many. You can worship one. And we believe in one God who is powerful and complete. And so we worship him. Then he says, don't make for yourself any graven or created image. And we're reminded that God's name is greater. That don't worship a created thing when you can worship the creator of it itself. Don't don't worship a created thing when the creator is uh, available. It's gonna let you down. The the created thing will always let you down. The creator never will. He is worthy of honor and glory and praise. And as I was writing this, I kind of developed this outline uh, a couple weeks ago now. And as I was working through the outline, you know, it's like, man, isn't it great that we live in a culture that doesn't worship created things rather than the creator, right? And, and that the, day, the day I was working on this outline, I watched the Super Bowl, right? And uh, the game was real snooze fest. It was terrible, a boring game. Uh, I like watching football, and uh, I wish I could have on Super Bowl Sunday. Um, but uh, at least some offense. But anyway, the Patriots won that game. And uh, at the end of the yeah, <laughs> somebody groaned, right? Um, so at the end of that game, they do this Lombardi uh, trophy ceremony, where uh, they have these uh, uh, kind of famous players, these legends that carry the trophy in uh, to triumphant music. And they're walking through a sea of people and everybody's like trying to touch the trophy. And I'm watching this thing. They've done it this way for a couple years now. I'm watching this going, this is super weird, right? Everyone's got fawning over this piece of metal. And, you know, so my first thought was, this is super weird. And then my second thought, because I just worked on this message was, no, this isn't weird, it's worship. Right? That, that, that's what this is. It's, it's, it's worship. It's worshiping the God of victory and entertainment and talent and money. So God says, hey, don't worship a created thing. You have the creator of heaven and earth available to you. And so there's all of this stuff about God's name is grace and oneness and greatness. And then we get to where we're going to settle for the rest of the sermon. Here it is. So because of that, don't misuse the name of the Lord your God. Because you are his child, and because his name is great, don't misuse his name. Now, traditionally, uh, my grandfather and my mother believed that this command had to do with cursing, right? Using God's name as a curse word. Anyone else grow up in that environment, all right? That if you use God's name, like at the table, I don't know, no, my mom would be sitting like five chairs away. She could somehow reach me still, right? You know, I, I mean, that we weren't gonna use God's name as a curse word. And listen, I wanna give a preemptive thing on this that, um, I'm not a big fan of cursing, all right? And, and I, I think our, I'm not about to advocate for cursing, all right? Let me, let me put it to you that way. Um, that I think our culture has become way too cavalier about God. Uh, you hear his name flippantly thrown out during an award show or during an, an athletic contest. I don't know about you. It kind of makes me cringe a little bit 
when you just hear God's name kind of flippantly thrown out there, or even worse, when you hear God's name, when you hear it used as profanity, um, you realize how far we've come. You know, the Hebrew people uh, in the Old Testament, uh, they would not even fully write out God's name. It was so, uh, they, they were so full of reverence about God's name that they, they leave out the middle O and they just write kind of GD and leave that space empty. Because like we so respect God and we so honor God that we're not even gonna write his name or, or, or even say his full name out of reverence. And boy, oh boy, we've come a long way from that, right? Where you can now use, people often use God's name to just curse people out. And uh, so I think a little more majesty, a little more respect when it comes to God's name uh, would be good for our culture. But, so I believe that. But this commandment's not about cursing, all right? Um, and uh, for one thing, that when this command was getting, given, God's name really was not used as a curse word. That's kind of something that we Americans thought was brilliant to do, right? <laughs> for some reason, it's like, hey, you know what we could do? You know, we could start to use God's name as a curse word. I don't know how we came up with that. Uh, but that really wasn't happening in this text. That's more of a modern day. I don't know if Americans came up with it or not. I just threw that in. But um, there, there's, there are a couple of practices that were happening that I think are important when it comes to using God's name in vain, all right? Let me put these on the screen for you. First of all, I use God's name to justify my own behavior, sinful or not, when God really hasn't spoken to me, right? So I use God's name, whatever the behavior, it can be sinful or not, that I'm using God's name to justify what I'm doing when God really hasn't spoken. So, you know, maybe it's the person that says, oh, um, God told me to leave this church and go to another church, or God told me to leave this job, or God told me to leave my marriage. God told me to do this, that, or the other thing. Now, don't get ahead of me too much here. I believe God speaks. I do. I believe he speaks in, through his Holy Spirit. He speaks through his word. I believe he speaks through other people. I 100% still believe God speaks. Now, as a side note to this, God will not contradict himself. So God will not tell you to do something that his word forbids. Where, you know, I've had that happen a lot of times. Where sometimes I really feel like God is telling me um, to do this. It's like, well, can I give you a verse about that? Well, I'm not interested in the verse. I'm telling you, God said it. He didn't, right? Because he's spoken in his word and he will never, ever contradict himself. But this is describing someone who honestly just doesn't want to take responsibility for their actions, or they don't really want to own their decision. So they kind of put it on God, that God told me to do this, or God told me to do that, and when he didn't. It's just something you want to do. The Bible would say that is a misuse of God's name to do that. That you're, misusing, you're using his name to do what you want to do. All right, here's another example. That I use God's name to manipulate and control others. So this is the guy I knew like in Bible college. <laughs> That you, you sometimes hear, see this guy that he'd go up to a girl and he says, hey, I was fasting and praying and I really, God told me we should date, right? It has been impressed on my spirit, right? It's that guy. Or, or it's the husband that wants to buy a new car and he says, man, honey, I was praying about the new car and I drove by the dealership. It, it was the Holy Spirit. No, it's the route you took home right? That's different, right? Um, it's the wife that really wants to buy a new house. And she said, I, mean, I was just praying and 
Like I felt like God told me we should sell. And maybe, but we really ought to be careful about using God's name in this way. About saying God spoke when we're not really sure if he spoke. We, we want to be careful about that, all right? And the other practice, and we'll talk about one more in, in a little bit. This one is, I use God's name to bolster my name. So this is a person that's been caught in repeated lies. For whatever reason, their word has been compromised more than once. And so to get people to believe them, they will say something like this. I swear to God. I swear to God. Or I swear on this book. And they are using God because nobody believes them. Because they've been caught lying or they've been caught in contradictions or whatever the case may be. So to try to make it more believable when they say something and everyone's kind of like, ah. And they say, no, I swear to God. I swear to God that this, this happened. And all of a sudden they will bring in God's name to bolster their compromised word. Right? So we covered this last week, but Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he is trying to remind us of the heart behind uh, the, the commands, a lot of the commands in the Old Testament. So we, we, like I said, we talked about adultery and lust, and now we're going to talk about being a person of, of our word. And remember, I'm going to put this on the screen just as a reminder. You are saved by grace. You are, but God cares about your heart. Right? So this, none of these things that Jesus, this isn't talking about being saved. We're saved by the work of Jesus. But all of these passages in this part of the Sermon on the Mount are teaching us, man, God really cares about your heart. He really cares about your integrity. He really cares about your character. So I want to show you what Jesus said. And all of that groundwork being laid, this is what Jesus teaches about this issue. He says, again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. Right? But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, right? For you cannot make, we, we don't do this anymore, but this was like a, I swear by myself, right? You're being dumb, all right? So, it's like, hey, hey, you know, you, you say something, like I don't believe you. I swear by my own name. I still don't believe you. All right, so, um, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Uh, anything beyond that comes from the evil one. So, our personal character and our personal growth is very important to God. That he knows your potential. He knows who he created you to be. He created us to be graceful and honest and to walk with integrity. And this is why this is so important to God when it comes to misusing his name. When it comes to misusing his name, this is about our personal integrity and our personal character. So by the time Jesus comes onto the scene, this really kind of strange and quirky thing began to take place when it comes to my word of honesty, integrity. And here's what, here's what would begin to happen is they would say, if I lie to you, right, if I say an untruth to you, what is the big deal? You're just a person, right? So, so if, I, if I lie to you, what, what is the big deal? And as a side note, this mindset still, agree, uh, still is alive and well today, that you will sometimes uh, hear people articulate in one way or the other that like Sunday is like the God thing for me, that on Sunday uh, I do the God thing 
And then Monday rolls around and Steve, you don't understand my industry. You don't understand my business. Sometimes you have to lie. Sometimes you have to compromise. Sometimes you, you have to kind of hurt people and, uh, and, and deceive them. It's cutthroat. And we do this as Americans sometimes. Like, well, but on Sunday, a couple times a month, on Sunday I do the God thing. And Monday through Saturday is like this other thing. Right? It's the business thing and it's the, the way I have to live thing. And so we still kind of have this mindset today of like, if I have to lie to you in business or if I have to mislead you in business, what is uh, the big deal? And it's a very low view of God in his name to think that really the business that God wants to do with you is just like one hour a week. It's a very low view of God that God ha- wants a relationship with you where he is your Lord and you are his follower, and he has lots of ways throughout the week that he wants to communicate to you and, and, and drive you towards righteousness. But here's the other thing it misjudges. So it misjudges how much God cares about you and your integrity. It also misjudges how much God cares about the person you're deceiving, right? You got a pretty low view of them as well. That It's like, man, the, the person you're lying to and cheating, God cares about them and God loves them as, as well. So anyway, this goofy idea got established where if I lie to you, it's no big deal. Who are you after all? But here's the spirituality part of this. I would never lie to God. And so this weird kind of quirky habit in the religious folks kind of took hold where the way you can know I'm telling you the truth is that I swear to God when, I, when, I, when I'm speaking to you, right? Just like we, we talked earlier, that if I bring God into it, you can know that I'm telling you the truth. But, but if I don't bring God into it, if I don't bring heaven into it, then Whatever we do in business is whatever we do. However I operate in business is however I want to operate. And whatever I do is whatever I do. So, um, so Jesus is trying to move his followers away from this whole practice, right? And, and he says, man, don't swear an oath at all. Don't swear by God's name. Don't, don't do any of that. Don't swear on, on an oath at all. And he gives us a couple examples. He says, don't swear by heaven for that's God's throne. This teaches us that God's name is to be worshiped. So Jesus is saying, if you want an appropriate way to use God's name, use his name when you're singing. Use his name when you're praying. Use his name as an act of worship. That's how God's name is to be used. Not to like trick someone into a business deal or not to you know, bolster your name that maybe where people don't believe you as much as they, they used to. Not to do any of that. Not to use your God's name to, to get your will done. He says, no, we're not gonna use God's name. If you wanna use God's name for something, use it as an act of worship. Make God's name high. Make God's name great. You know why? I studied all week to be able to say this because it is, right? May, lift his name up because his name is high, right? So don't swear by heaven for it's God's throne. Don't swear by earth because it's God's footstool. This teaches us that if you're gonna use God's name for something, use God's name in service. Let me kind of show you this story from the book of Acts. Teacher said, John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. Right? I, love the, I love this story where the disciples see someone driving out demons in, in Jesus' name. And they're like, no, you're not one of the 12. You're not one of the disciples. You're not doing that. That's our deal. right? And so they go to Jesus. And Jesus says, don't stop them. 
For no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. Truly I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose the reward. So if you want to use the name of Jesus, use the name of Jesus when you're loving someone. If you want to use God's name, use it when you're serving someone. If you want to use the Lord's name, use it when you're making a difference in someone's life. So when you're kind to someone, yeah, do that in God's name. That a lot of times when you do something kind in the community, people will want to celebrate you, um, and it's just natural. It's just human, human uh, it's just a natural human behavior that, oh, we want to celebrate you. You did something great. And that's a moment to be able to say, man, I actually did that in Jesus' name. I, I did that because of how great and wonderful he is and what a difference he's made in my life. And that's why I'm generous or that's why I'm kind. And so Jesus is teaching man, if you want to use Jesus' name, use it in the way that you serve. And then he said, and don't swear by Jerusalem because it is the city of our great king. That God's name is to be obeyed. If you want to use God's name for something, use it to bolster your obedience. Right? Use God's name, which is a great name. Use God's name to kind of move you towards righteousness and move you toward obedience and move you toward compliance to his law. Not so that he'll love you. He already loves you, but because you know that he's leading you to life. So we have this thing that we do, and if you're a parent or grandparent, you, you do this too, but we do this thing with Sam, and someday we'll do it with Lila too. Of, we'll say, hey, I want you to pick up your toys before dinner. And he'll say, Why? And I'll usually say, because, right, because I said so. That the name of daddy should be so embedded in your heart and your mind that it drives you to obedience, my son. (laughs) Right? That the name of daddy should be so, right, because I said so. And that's an illustration, but kind of it's not. Right? It kind of describes how that if we would have this kind of reverent view of God's name, I think swearing would solve itself, honestly. That you wouldn't dream of using God's name to cuss somebody out. That, that if, if uh, we had a reverent view of God's name, that, that would solve its own. But it would also stop this thing of, you know, I you know, swear to you and all, all that stuff. So Jesus says we're going to do away with all that altogether. We're not going to swear by heaven. We're not going to swear by earth. We're not going to swear by Jerusalem. We're not going to swear even by our own heads, which I think was kind of tongue-in-cheek, to be honest. You know, I just think it's a funny thing of, I don't believe you, Steve. I swear on my own name. No, you know, nobody does that. But um, And uh, he says, what we're going to do is we're going to simply let our yes be yes and our no be no. All right? Very simple teaching here. We're going to let our yes be yes and we're going to let our no be no. And I'm reminded of a story Jesus told. He said, what do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and he said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. Sounds like my son, actually, sometimes. <laughs> it sounds like your kid, too, doesn't it, sometimes? I want you to go do this. I will not, right? Um, he, I will not, he answered. But later, he changed his mind, and he went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. And he said, I will, sir. I'll go out and do that. But he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The correct answer is the first right? Because he said no, and then later changed his mind. So I want to absolutely set some of you free right now. And you are going to be so 
happy in 30 seconds that you drove in the snow and the ice to be here for this lesson. But Cheryl will tell you, I really believe in this idea and I use it in my life all the time. It is okay to say no. <gasps> You're so wise, sensei, right? Um, right? It is okay to say no. And Cheryl and I have this funny, funny thing that she's way, way nicer than I am, just so you know, right? You might actually want her to be up here preaching over me, I don't know. But um, she does this thing where, like, if she's going to say no to someone, she feels like she needs to give them a reason for the no. Because she's very, very nice. When someone asks me to do something, a lot of times I'll just say, no. And she'll say, well, what reason did you give them? I didn't give a reason. The answer is no, right? And, and you know, we kind of go, but she's like, no, you gotta give a reason. Why do I have to give a reason? The answer is no, you know? And so it's just kind of a playful, funny thing. I'm like, you are just so nice. And I, get, I got this and I that. And for a lot of times, no. The end, right? The end, right? So, so I wanna free you, right? Right now, it is okay to say no. But here's what I wanna discourage you from. Don't say, because we live in such a nice culture, don't say yes and plan on it being a no, <laughs> right? So, so don't say yes and then, well, I'm gonna think about that or I'll let you know or I hope maybe you forget. They never forget, by the way. Um, so, so, don't, so don't say yes and then like, be thinking of ways to get out of it. If it's a no, uh, just have the integrity to say no. And sometimes saying no is the best thing you can say. Saying no to your kids, saying no to work, saying no sometimes frees you up to say yes to something better. So Jesus said, let your no be no. It, believe it or not, I think it takes a lot of integrity to say no. Saying, is saying no hard for anyone? All right, saying no's hard, right? So, so sometimes, but a lot of times because we fall into this trap of, I, I don't wanna say no. And so I'll say yes, and then, you know, Maybe they won't notice if I, if I don't show up or you know, maybe if I you know, make up an excuse later. We, we do these funny things. We all do it. We all do it, right? But Jesus says, no, if, if it needs to be no, that's okay. Just say no. But here's the other thing I would say to you, all right? And this will be my, my kind of conviction for you of it shouldn't always be no, right? If sometimes it's no, you're engaging in self-care. If you always say no, <laughs> That might be that, like you're kind of a jerk, who knows? I don't know, I'm not saying that, but right? <laughs> if, if it's always a no, that may, maybe you need some conviction on that. It's like, I am just always saying no, right? So sometimes we should say no, but we shouldn't always say no. We should be loving and serving the people around us. So, so let your no be no, and then let your yes be yes. That if we can do something, if we can help with something, if we can contribute, then we're gonna say yes, and we're gonna follow through. We're not gonna use God's name to manipulate. We're not gonna give, use God's name to give credence to our word. We're simply, Jesus said, just yes and no. Yes or no. All right, and we're gonna practice right now. Yes, say it. And this would be a big deal. This is the first time some of you have said this in a month. No. See, some of you couldn't even do it. I watched you. You're like, oh, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> no. It's okay to say no. Don't always say no. It's okay to say no, uh, sometimes. And so let your no be no and your yes be yes. And what Jesus is teaching us is that let's find 
the internal integrity to manage this issue well. And let's stop using God's name to manipulate. Let's stop using God's name to control. Let's stop using God's name to give credence where we've said yes so many times when it was a no that you could just say, hey, can you help me move? You're like, yes. And you can just tell they're like, oh, yeah, he, I'm going to line up a backup. You know, <laughs> I, I don't believe that they're coming. No, I swear. I swear. It, you know, and, and he said, let's just stop that foolishness. And let's let our yes be yes and our no be no. Let's pr- let me pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we want to thank you uh, for caring about our personal integrity and uh, for, for caring about our souls and our hearts. And uh, Lord, this, was, um, this is an interesting text to me because it's not something I ever would have really thought about. So thank you for, for leading us to, to this text of um, just uh, saying yes or saying no. And uh, we wanna be people of integrity. So help us to be that way. And um, right now we're about to celebrate this moment in human history where you decided to say yes. And we are so grateful you didn't waffle. We are so grateful you didn't change your mind. We are so grateful that you went to that cross. Thank you for letting your yes be yes. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. And God really did set this example for us. We're going to celebrate it right now as a church family that he said to Abraham uh, years before, he said, I'm gonna make your name, I'm gonna make your name great and I'm gonna make you into a great nation. And they said to Abraham, the whole world through your family, the whole world is gonna be blessed. And you follow through the Old Testament, it's like, how is the yes gonna come? Everyone knows that God is a God who, who keeps his promises. So how is that yes gonna come? And eventually through Jesus, we get our yes that the entire world was blessed through the ministry of Jesus. Through his death, that he died on the cross for our sins, and through his resurrection, that we receive that same power through the Holy Spirit to live different lives, to live lives of integrity. So we're gonna receive communion right now as a, as a memory of the work that Jesus did and how Jesus is the yes. Jesus is the yes. And um, so you'll find two cups stacked on top of each other. One has some bread, representing his body. The other has some juice representing his blood. And this is just an opportunity uh, for us uh, to thank him for his yes, to thank him for his sacrifice. And then you can have, have those and spend some time with the Lord. And after a couple minutes, I'll come back up and we'll take it all together as a church family.